I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. So we are combining three of the things we love, podcast and then story and breakfast. And specifically, we're looking at the biggest story. We tend to read the Bible like it's something boring, um, a little more mechanical, when in truth it's full of all kinds of complicated characters and plenty of room for the imaginative. Uh, we're hoping that this could open up the way we read these stories, that we would see the people in them as real people and that that might help us connect to maybe God is real too, if the characters are real. We're going to look at a bunch of different stories in scripture and just ask the question, what did they eat for breakfast? And what did they want to eat for breakfast? And we're also just going to talk about what life felt like for them in the hope that maybe we'll see ourselves in the story and we'll see a real God moving through real people. We're calling this the breakfast translation. We are in Acts chapter 10 for this episode of the Breakfast Translation. And as far as breakfast goes, this is pretty, this is a pretty important chapter. Yeah. Keaton, do you have a a favorite breakfast meat? I used to keep a rotation every time I would switch between sausage, etc. But now I'm, I love bacon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you have any, like I like a good, um, I don't know if this is just a southern thing, but I feel like every time I've had it, I've been in the south, but it's like where they add like pepper to the bacon, like a cracked Ooh, pepper. Yes. Kind of a, a kind of a feel. There's a good place in Asheville called Tupelo Honey. I have been to Tupelo Honey. Yeah, they've yeah. got a few different places down south and they they do like uh, First Watch, I think, does it too, where they have a, a bacon that's like juiced up with like all kinds of flavoring added to it. Well, the reason that it's it's considered holy now to have that kind of good breakfast meat is partially can be traced back to Acts chapter 10. Yeah. So this is a pretty big deal. It is. I thank mean, you, not, Acts chapter 10. Thank you so much. Yeah. From all of us. Um, not just like, it doesn't just affect our being able to have bacon. It affects like all of Gentiles being welcomed into the community of God, which is also us. Yes. So also cool. So yeah, yeah. There's like bacon, and then there's like being welcomed into the community of God. Yeah. Uh, We're actually going to look at a moment where Simon Peter learns a new thing, and Cornelius also, who's a new character in Acts chapter ten, he also learns a brand new thing. I thought it would be worth us saying, uh, just starting out with, do you have a story of a time when something became clearer to you? Like we've talked about this conversion before but this is a moment where you had to almost unlearn something so that you could relearn it in a clearer way do you have any good stories about that I do I'm not excited to share it but I'm going to (laughs) all right that's the best kind up until I was in college I 100% felt confident that New England was a state okay Um, my friend one of my roommate was from New Hampshire and she would interchangeably say that she was from New Hampshire or from New England. Okay. And it was throwing me for a loop because I thought she was a liar. Um, <laughs> what what finally did it for you? What finally convinced you? I confronted it. <laughs> and she she set me straight. Okay, um, so it was just one person's testimony. Yes. Yeah. yeah I know, but I felt like she <laughs> she claimed the right. Uh, yeah, she was from there. She had a little credibility, authority. Yep. Yeah. What about you? What's your story? Well, I wish I was in college when I learned this, but it took longer, actually. So I, for a good portion of my life, like so far three-fourths of my life, I thought that Epcot 
the Disney park yeah. was all contained within that golf ball <laughs> structure that you often see in pictures of Epcot. And, and what led you to believe otherwise? I think just because whenever you saw a picture of Epcot, it was always just that giant golf ball thing. Right. So you said, this is the thing. Right. And there's never, you know, it's just a picture, so you can't ever get any scale of it. Right. So I thought maybe that giant golf ball structure is the size of an amusement park. And did you go to the golf ball structure? I did, finally. This was, I think, I had to be in my 30s, though. And it was to go for a race. We were doing one of those half marathon races around the Disney parks. And the starting line was right around Epcot. And we pulled up, and I remember just, like, it was, like, there's all these things happening (laughs) around me. I'm with people. We're getting ready to run a half marathon. But I look up, and I realize, oh, well, that's that's not very big. Right. So that can't be, that the, can't whole, be the whole thing. The whole park. There's no way everyone's going. <laughs> yeah. And then we ran the race. We had a fine day. And then we actually went to Epcot. So we walked around what is actually yeah, that portion of the Disney kingdom or whatever. Okay. And I, I kept wanting to like tell people around me that my, my worldview had been <laughs> rocked and was shaking in this giant way to say, guys, I all my life misunderstood the like nature of Epcot but I just kind of kept it to to myself yes Uh, and it's this is now you know years later that I feel comfortable enough saying out loud okay so this is this is the the first yeah the world's hearing of this but it's like one of those things where it's just you don't question it you just kind of go with it and until you have to confront it Mm -hmm. you meet somebody who's from not the state of New England but the area yes the region so yeah, I feel like we're we're running into a moment here where the Jewish folks have seen the Gentile world from a distance, and the world is forcing them to see it up close, or God is forcing them to see it up close, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we had no idea. Right. And so uh, I just wonder like how often something like that like happens, and we internalize it like we have these giant shifts, and... So I think it's worth like saying that we're we're heading into a giant shift here that we might take for granted, but it helps us to think about how giant it would have been in the world of Simon Peter. Um, we're going to meet a guy named Cornelius, who is a military man. It tells us that he is a centurion of the Italian cohort. So yes, that is what that's what Google told me. Too. <laughs> yeah, it, did it tell you anything else? Uh, not not too much. No, yeah. he's powerful. Okay. Right? So he's got a household of people who are kind of serving him. He's responsible for a lot of people's lives. Okay, yeah, that's what it seemed like in th- this chapter. Yeah, so he's a military guy. It, we also know that he's described as a God-fearer, which had a very specific meaning. Like when you read it in Acts, it just sounds like, oh, cool, he's somebody who was maybe afraid that there was a God in the sky yeah. who you know, could smite him like he was right. some old Ananias or something. Um, but what it actually meant in their world is somebody who believed in the God of Israel, so who believed in the very specific story that had come through Abraham and Isaac and Ruth and Deborah and all these people, but didn't belong to the Jewish community, like they weren't. It wasn't in their bloodline to be right. a part of the Jewish world. So he's a Gentile, right? The world, as far as we know it at this point, is divided into two groups. Yeah, the Jews and Gentiles. Yeah, and that's it. And so Cornelius is over here in the other community, but he loves, he's fallen in love with the God of the Israelites. 
And so he's called a God-fearer because he believes in this God, but he doesn't adhere to any of their cultural laws. And so what we're going to see in Acts is because he doesn't adhere to these laws, it kind of makes this, it makes community awkward. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where like food has come between you and a friend. Have you ever had that, like something where it like sets you apart because you, like I, I ask that because I have very deep yeah. memories of being a kid and I didn't eat hamburgers or pizza. Okay. And so and it, that's the thing that you have at the birthday yeah, parties. It was tremendous isolation because everybody else was enjoying these things and mm. I'm always in the corner like, no, not can I just me. have some French fries right. <laughs> or breadsticks? Right. Like, so, uh, but if you think about that on a deeper level, here's this world where there are these two distinct groups who are now, because of the way the culture is changing, we've seen this, right? That they're, they're in each other's worlds more often in the marketplace and the food is kind of separating them. Um, it's probably even worth just pausing and like talking about why this, there is this giant divide, right? <laughs> like, why is this so important? And I think it's, you know, even as we record this, there are, there are bombs going off in Israel because of cultural divides, right? Right. And um, it's probably, this is so much more complex than our little breakfast <laughs> podcast can mm-hmm. answer, but at least the, the we sort We can of, try. Yeah, we can, <laughs> we can zoom out and maybe just think about the big picture. Like, at least as far as what I was taught about that divide is that, you know, when you read the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, there's this very big idea that God has chosen a small group of people. And it seems to be that God has chosen them to like show the world how peopling can be done. Yeah. <laughs> to be That's like, a good way to summarize it. here's like, let's just take a small group of people and have them have God as their only, like, can't, there's even a moment where they want like, a human king and God says, just let me rule over you. Right. And, right. And, and then with laws and stuff, like it's this idea of like, if you would just live the way God wants you to that you would stand out in the world, that it would go better for you as a person. And that maybe even eventually, like, living under the rule of God and the presence of God, that you would come to love God and your neighbors. And that that way of living in the world would be so attractive that maybe you would change the world. Right. And so all these things that to us look like petty little dietary laws are actually a giant piece of their identity um, as the chosen people of God. And even... You know, we're going to get into here in a, a couple chapters later, circumcision, which also like very literally marked them. Yeah. Has the chosen people of God. Uh, I, I told you about that book I've been reading, The Son of Laughter. Yes. It's a, that's by Frederick Buechner and it imagines the life of Isaac. And it really gets into how important that was to them that every time they would go to like procreate, they would be reminded that their life is bigger than just their life, that, that they're fulfilling the promises of God. And so I think it's just, we have to almost like back up every once in a while to just remind ourselves of, of that big story mm-hmm. that, that God chose this small group of people, but as we're going to see, he chose the small group of people to draw in. Right. Looking at the wide, the wider world. Yeah. And so here's a moment where God has been showing up in the life of a Gentile man and a military man. Now, as you read the story, Keaton, did you get a feel at all for what Cornelius would eat for breakfast? 
I don't know. I struggled to come up with what he would look uh, eat for breakfast. I did some Googling to find out what people yeah. in the military eat okay. for breakfast. And what, what was it? Find? The MREs? Is that yeah. familiar? So Basically like a some, meal like, in a can. in a can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that, you know, it probably depends on if you're in a, like on base where you have a mess hall and you can just probably get whatever you want for breakfast or, or like some limited menu. Right. Or if you're like out. On duty. Yeah. On yeah. duty, you probably have to have something that you can carry with you. We have a listener, actually, Justin, okay. who's in the military. I think he's an Air Force guy. And I asked him, like, what did you have for breakfast? He said that most important to them is just caffeine. All right. <laughs> that they're not too picky Staying about awake. anything else. Yep. The part of the military might be eat what is available to you. Mm-hmm. And it's about sustenance probably more than like your preferences. Okay. Um, so we I have no idea out. of knowing, but here's Cornelius who's a military man. So maybe his rule of breakfast is you eat what's in front of you uh, to eat. Um, but he, he's a guy who has a whole household. So I wonder if he has like a veritable buffet. Because he has all these people that live with him that he's responsible for. Yeah, so he seems to be a group. man of means. So I wonder if he gets to like have like six choices. Yeah. You know, what it, like maybe it's like a bed and breakfast situation where he comes down in the morning and because he's such a powerful guy, somebody has offered him bacon and sausage and cracked salt and pepper bacon. Yeah, sign me up for that. Yeah, maybe he's living a good life, which makes it even more impressive that he is intrigued by the story of God. Yeah. You know, that here's this guy who seems to have a lot of things at his disposal. Things seem to be going pretty well for him. But he is, he's drawn towards the God of Israel. So much so that he ends up one day having a vision. And in this vision, he's told to go find Simon Peter, who at the same time is having a vision. Double vision. Double visions. <laughs> Uh, this is, I think, if this was like a romantic comedy, you would call this a meet cute, <laughs> right? Where they have right. like, they this both have a fun little story where they first see each other. And <laughs> right. And they've both like caught glimpses of each other yeah. before, but all of a sudden now they're having this magical moment. Yes. And Cornelius's vision is go find Simon Peter, who is staying at the house of another guy named Simon, who's a tanner. Which a tanner means somebody who like deals in animal hides and stuff. Right. Which would be complicated for Peter. Right. So he's already maybe showing that he is, he's having to adjust what he understands the, the laws of the Jewish people to be. He's, he's obviously made some, like, he's found some comfort with being a little looser about some of these laws. And maybe Jesus brought that out of him, right? Right. Because Jesus very often said, we the laws are supposed to serve you, you know, you're not supposed to serve the law. So, um, so Peter's vision, Simon Peter's vision is, I would sum up has all animals are delicious. Yes, I agree. <laughs> look at this animal, look at this animal, look at this animal. Now let's eat them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which I guess trigger alert to any vegans we yes. have listening, uh, people, but this is, again, a, a different world, right? Different concerns. They don't have to worry about the animal population. They don't have to worry about things like factories and like all that stuff. Right. They have this idea going all the way back to Genesis that some animals are pure and some are impure. And there's a lot of like, I've been in lots of conversations where people talk about, is this like just arbitrary? Like, did God just like pick animals? Like, just has a test. Oh, that's a great point. Uh, some people think, and... 
I, I don't I'm an amateur at this, but some people think that there was like a reason, like some of the laws, if you look into them, they were protective. Like there were maybe more, there's more bacteria living in certain kind of hooved animals huh. versus other animals. So it would have been safer to eat beef than to eat pork. All right. That makes sense. And like even some of the non-dietary rules, like, you know, there are a lot of laws around a woman's like menstrual cycle and again like a lot of that has to do with hygiene so sometimes to us it looks like just these arbitrary rules but there are people who make a living like defending like the the practicality of some of these things Uh, either way it seems like part of this was to keep god's people pure and so this idea of some animals are pure and some are not would have gone hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years backwards you know like so Simon Peter would have, this is not just him being like me and being like, I don't think I like hamburgers. No. This no, is this him is thinking. That's been in way for, deep in his roots. Yeah. Yes. That to be a good person means to avoid eating bacon, no matter how many delicious things somebody piles on top of it. And so his, this vision is a very big deal. And he doesn't just see it has a change in diet. He sees it as a change in theology. Yeah, because if to be a good person means you only eat this meat, and they're saying that is not what, or like no, maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. That would. And if um, what you thought about animals is off, then maybe what you thought about the division of people is off too. And so he says this great thing when he is talking to the people in the room at Cornelius's house. He says, "I see now." that God shows no partiality. Which if you've gone your whole life thinking that you are the chosen, to then see that God might choose them too. Right, mind blown. Mind that's, blown. that's the symbols with our hands right now that yeah. are making the difference. I mean, it's as if you thought all of Epcot could fit into a golf ball. And then when you got closer, you realized that there was like a, a whole amusement park a 200 out there. acre <laughs> amusement park that you never had any idea of right i mean that's that's silly but that's how giant of a paradigm shift uh this is and so simon peter does what people do in acts when they learn something new uh makes a speech yes and he gives this little speech and all the people who are a part of cornelius's breakfast buffet like decide that they also want in on the story of Jesus. Because here's, Cornelius is just a God-fearer, right? He just believes in the God, the voice, the fear in the sky. And so Simon Peter kind of tells him the rest of the story as far as he knows it, which is that there was this this man named Jesus, Jesus. who um, died on a cross and walked out of a grave, and he fills in the story, and he tells him the Holy Spirit is also God with them and is available for everyone. And so they have this moment. This is going to be a thing we're going to see, which is uh, a household conversion. You know, a lot of times, in a, especially in somebody who's wealthy, they would have a whole, all these people who would live under their care and in, in their patronage. Like Downton Abbey. Exactly. So the, here we have the butlers mm-hmm. and the, the car parkers and what are the, what the women, like the maids, yeah. right? So everybody in Downton Abbey is converted here. And decides that they are also not just God-fearers, but they are going to become Jesus followers. And then they're also going to be people 
uh, who the Holy Spirit dwells in. Because we get this little picture of, I have in my notes that it's like a little Gentile Pentecost. Mm. So that thing that we saw in Acts 2, where people start speaking in tongues and understanding each other's languages, happens to Cornelius's household. And so this big, giant, beautiful thing that happened in the Jewish community now also happens in the Gentile community. In the Gentile community. And so it's a very, it's a huge deal. Like we can't even say, I think right. there's not, you, like you run out of words, how big of a deal this is. Um, and I just wonder, like part of me wants to think like, what's happening? I want more information about what's happening inside Simon Peter. You know, because yeah, it's a big is deal. he is he? I'm sure he's flustered. Yeah, like I'm sure he's ex- jazzed about it. But I mean, yeah, shaking from underneath your feet. Yeah, I mean, would you be excited about it, or would you be like, kind of, I, I spent my whole life? Person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's you. It's only it is like the prodigal son story, right? Yeah. Where the the older son is like, I've obeyed these laws all this time, and now you're telling me I could have been a bacon eater, and God would have been fine with it. Right. You know, like, um. And I do think there's something to be said that God has honored Simon Peter's faithfulness. He's gotten to be a part of all these really special things uh, because of who he is and how faithful he's been. But here's this moment where God is welcoming these younger sons into the fold. Who are just now like, oh, sure. Yeah, let me in the story. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, It's also like the story Jesus tells about the, the workers who some of them started working at dawn and some of them strolled in at six o'clock in the evening and started working Mm -hmm. and they both get paid, right? And so here we have that parable kind of coming to life. Here are these people coming later in their life, but later on in the story, uh, it is a giant unlearning, relearning moment uh, for the people of God. Um, It has me in my head also just like wondering in the same way that we have like learned those little things, like all of a sudden you learn the real meaning of New England or the real meaning of Epcot and Disney magic. Um, It has me in my head about if we've ever had to like unlearn or relearn something more serious or connected to faith. Have you thought of any stories like that? Yes. I don't know how much more serious this one is, but when I was younger maybe up until like first or second grade I truly thought that um, the goal of being a good Christian meant that you would eventually be written into the Bible okay Um, and I found out that 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 wasn't the case it was like a very nice conversation of but you can still live your life as if you were in the Bible and um, so my response was to write myself into the (laughs) Bible on my own but that was a shift in thinking for my my um younger Christian years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you think about it. There's all, we talk about like the book of life and getting your name written right. and all that stuff. So maybe yeah. you heard that and you heard somebody yeah. say that. I'm living out Acts part three. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we are finishing the story. We've exactly. already talked about that as a big idea. Mm-hmm. It's just that not necessarily, it won't be like in Barnes and Noble editions. Yes. Yeah. There's well, not, maybe. I mean, but you're but still young. Right. So who knows? Yeah. There could be a Keaton case translation <laughs> somewhere down the line. Who knows what God will do. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's a powerful guy. Um, mine is, uh, I went to God school, which yes. is what I call seminary. So I was in God school and a professor walked in and said, can prayer change God's mind? Oof. Which you, do you have a yes or no? Yes or no? What's your answer? Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and what this professor was trying to do was like unravel what hides in that question yeah it's layered yeah because just in that question is this idea that god already has things set 
uh, that everything is already decided or determined. And then deep within that question is what our prayer affects or doesn't affect. Um, And, you know, you some people kind of grow up with this idea that prayer is like signing a petition. Right. And if enough people sign the petition, then God will save their friend from dying. You just got to hit the right number. Yeah. Or if you didn't pray enough, then that's why you lost your house or something terrible happened. Uh, and so what he what he was doing was like unraveling that. But what it it set off in me like a year of I don't, I don't know, know anything, <laughs> you know, like everything fell apart. And there's a question there. You bounce back to yeah, the what is prayer? Oh, who is God? <laughs> what is the future? Yeah. What does it matter if we do or does it does every like I couldn't I could not answer any of the even the smaller questions right. for a while. It would feel a little paralyzing. Yeah, and you go to, I would go to try to pray and be like, I don't know what we're supposed to say here anymore, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think one of the things that I was thinking about as we look at this chapter, one of my favorite things about the Bible is that people inside of it learn new things. You know, that if you were going to make up a religious document, you would want people to be pretty sure about things. Right. You would not have a Simon Peter who has been, has gotten breakfast meat wrong all along. Yeah. Simon Peter saying, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. You would not have him saying, oh, I see now that this favoritism I was taught was my birthright now belongs to this military man. Um, That I, I love that the people inside scripture actually learn new things about who God is and how God's working. And so when people think it's all settled and done... You, you can't add to the Bible, right? <laughs> but I want to say, but even inside the Bible, they're constantly learning new things. So yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's done. Right. So it does all kind of come back together right. to that big question. It makes it hard to point to one verse and say, see, it says this here. Right. If something could, might unravel it later. That's right. Down the line. Uh, I had a professor show me, I can't remember where it is in, it's in Proverbs 20 something. There's a passage that says, you know, and, course in the genres are all kind of different but in the proverbs there is a a verse that says answer a fool according to his folly Hmm. and then the very next verse says never answer a fool (laughs) according to his folly and you're like well what does the bible say about this yeah do we answer the things (laughs) yeah and i think this is important Uh, i pay a lot of attention to like the the bigger conversations going on in the world around faith and stuff and right now a deconstruction is this very big idea. And there are a lot of people of all ages, but primarily like, like 90% of these people are probably under 40 or so who would say that they're in like a deconstruction process where they're unlearning the faith that they were brought up with. And sometimes that's like a really healthy thing. Yeah. They're questioning, you know, really good things. And it's a part of becoming your own person and wrestling with God. Like it's a very holy thing Uh, I think what frustrates me about some of that deconstruction stuff is that there's no there's no earnest attempt at the questions so like instead of like being curious they just kind of throw up their hands and surrender see this thing silly yeah and they they almost kind of mock it on their way down or burn the building on their way out Mm -hmm. and I just think there's it's like it's partially healthy It's, it's partially oh, yeah. a sacred and beautiful thing, but only if you're earnestly seeking truth, you know, right. and, you know, we were talking about how 
most of those big giant questions, there are people who have very earnestly asked those over the years. And so you're not alone. Like, I think that's one of the things that when people walk away from faith, they end up feeling like exiled or in the desert or like cast out. But very often there are really faithful people who have asked those questions, who have, who have broken things down piece by piece. Documented it. Yeah. And written books about it or, you know, done sermons about it or made art about it, you know, and have, have rebuilt it because of that work that they've been doing. Um, So I'm very anxious to see if some of this deconstruction leads to a reconstruction. Right. Or if it leads to just unraveling. Yeah. Settling. I I would love to believe, you know, I, I always believe the truth that all seekers find. And so my hope is that for those people who really are seeking like, a a God (laughs) who are like God fearers who are really seeking to know if we're being held by anything that they'll, they'll find that. Um, But I do think it takes unlearning. So there are some people who don't want to unlearn anything who I would say, please, for the love of God, go deconstruct what you think. Right. And then there are some people who you want to say, Oh, it's time to time to build. build. Yeah. Uh, Pete Holmes, who I think made a career for a while. He's a comedian, but he's also really thoughtful like famous Christian adjacent person. Uh, he says you should only be able to deconstruct for three years. <laughs> you <laughs> have to be, you have to figure out what you're about. Slot, yeah. um, so I don't know. I don't agree with, I wouldn't sign my name to everything he says, but I really kind of love that idea. Um, and we're going to see Simon Peter, like he's going to take this learning and he's going to do some really great things with it, but he's also going to wrestle with it. So The book of Galatians is about like him working out how this takes a hold of his life or not. And him and Paul sometimes get in these debates back and forth about how God is inviting the Gentiles in and what it means for their daily life together. And so as we said, like Acts is very often the backdrop of the letters. And so this idea of just how in is people are, is God inviting the Gentiles in to Uh, the community of God Mm. is going to come back to be a big question. But again, I just love that scripture lets people learn. Yeah. And so of all the invitations that we could come up with, like that's my hope is that I wake up to like a brand new possibility with every breakfast. Mm -hmm. We think. Yes. Are you buying what I'm selling? I'm buying what you're selling. <laughs> okay. I'll eat breakfast with you. <laughs> All right. I look forward uh, to the Keaton Case translation. <laughs> I still think there's hope. I don't think you should give up that dream. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you're right. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, you get like a family tree Bible and then you can write yourself in there. We are finishing the story, hopefully, or we're at least adding our line. I do think that's part of what we're up to here. Uh, We're glad that you've joined us for the Breakfast Translation. If you're reading along with us, our next episode, we're going to zoom through. We're going to read all the way through to Acts 13 and get ready for another big shift that's going to come in the church in Acts 15. So get ready for it. Uh, Smoke your breakfast meats, and we'll see you back here for the next episode of the Breakfast Translation. Look and the story.